Well, good morning, everyone. It is really good to see folks and family and friends and uh, met some people this morning that I met for the first time. So, so glad you're here and do hope that you feel welcome and at home and uh, that this is a real blessing uh, to be here this morning. Most of us grew up probably having been told at one time or another, uh, only believe things to be true when you get it straight from the source. So when somebody comes to me and says, hey, did you hear? And then they go on to describe a story that they heard from someone who heard it from someone else based on what someone might have seen. When I listen to that story, I'm not taking a whole lot of stock into whatever they have to say. If I want to know the truth, I'm going to go straight to the source in order to find that truth. And as you look at Luke's gospel, you can be confident that he feels the very same way. Because he writes his gospel, as he said, with careful investigation of eyewitness accounts. In other words, he goes straight to the source in order to understand who Christ is and what he came to do. In fact, the very first chapter, what we've been looking at over the last few weeks, is filled with divine revelation. Now, think about that. You can't get more closer to the source of truth than the author of truth. So what we learn from Luke is based on what God has to say. Luke is relying primarily on what God has to say about the person and work of Christ on two occasions. We hear from the angel Gabriel as we learn the angel who stands in the very presence of God. We also hear the testimony of three witnesses who, as the Scripture describes them, are filled with the Holy Spirit. And we talked about that important phrase because what it means is that their words are prophetically empowered by God himself. So in the end, again, what we learn from Luke is based on what God has to say. Luke goes straight to the source so that we can be confident in the truth. And so before we move on, I want us to kind of remind ourselves of those truths that we've learned in the last few weeks. As you know, Luke gives the account of two very important, miraculous births. The first one involves Elizabeth. As we know, she was righteous in the sight of God, following all of his commands and walking in all of his ways. And yet, in that culture, she was a disgrace because she was barren, unable to have a child. But the angel told uh, angel Gabriel tells uh, Zechariah, Elizabeth's husband, that the Lord has heard their prayer. That they will, in fact, have a son. And they will give him the name John. A name that means God has been gracious. John will make ready a people prepared for the Lord. He will call them to repentance. Helping them recognize their need for a Savior. And then encourage them to, to look expectantly for the fulfillment of the promised Messiah who is to come. A promise, as we learn, it was made all the way back to Abraham. When God promised Abraham that 
through the nation of Israel will come a blessing that will extend to all the families of the earth. A promise that is then affirmed to David, saying that that seed will come through the, the line of David. He will be a royal king, and his kingdom will have no end. We talked about how this is a covenant promise, which means that it does not rely on the worthiness of man, but on the faithfulness of of God. It's John the Baptist who will fulfill that promise and announce the coming of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. The second miraculous birth involves Mary, the mother of Jesus, a young teenage girl from a rural town in Galilee who is the object of God's grace. She will become pregnant by the power of the Holy Spirit and will give birth to Jesus, the one who is born to bring redemption to the world. We learn from Zechariah's prophecy that Jesus would be a light in our darkness, that he would guide our feet in the way of peace, that he's our Emmanuel, God with us. He will bring salvation and accomplish redemption through the forgiveness of sins. And I want you to know, we can be confident about these truths, about who Christ is and what He came to do, because they come straight from the source of truth. Empowered by God's Spirit, spoken by God's angels, revealed not to religious authorities or to political leaders who might have had another agenda. These instead were revealed to the humble. A barren woman, a teenage girl, and as we'll see this morning, to lowly shepherds. Before we look at that together, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, as we come to your word, may it cause within us a heart that rejoices. Rejoices in a truth that we can be confident in because it comes straight from you. These are God-breathed words revealing the truth of who you are, what you accomplished through the person and work of Christ. May we not just breeze through this Christmas holiday uh, taking what is a known story and losing the significance of its message. May it seek deeply into our heart. May its truth resonate in our life. May it be a, a part of our conversation and may it fill our songs with praise. Lord, that is our prayer. We pray this in your name. Amen. If we'll turn to Luke chapter 2, verse 1. Luke chapter 2, verse 1. Now it came about in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all the inhabitants of the earth. This was the first census taken while Quirinus was governor over Syria. And all were proceeding to register for the census, everyone to his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth, to Judea, the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house of the family of David, in order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was with child. 
taxation within the Roman Empire is an historical fact. A tax was collected in a province. And so that's why people were instructed to go back to their own city so that a census could be taken in terms of uh, administering a tax to that province. That's why Joseph and Mary went to Bethlehem. Because Joseph, being a descendant of David, goes back to the city of David, which is his own city, in order to be a part of that census. What's interesting here is you look at the logistics is that technically Mary did not have to go. This was a census to be taken uh, by men who would represent their families. And so Mary didn't have to go and really probably shouldn't have in light of the fact that she's nine months pregnant. And this would not have been an easy journey. And so why would she make this trip? Well, what we know from Scripture is that both Mary and Joseph have been visited by an angel by this time. So they know the significance of this birth. They know the importance of this child. And they do not want to be separated on the day in which that child will be born. But I also wonder, as a righteous couple who clearly knew the Word of God, and we know that to be true because of Mary's song filled with Old Testament Scripture, is it possible that this young couple who knew God's Word remembered the prophet Micah? The prophet Micah, who in Micah chapter 5, verse 2, said that the promised Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. The timing is definitely not a coincidence. The sovereign God is directing the decrees of man to accomplish a divine purpose. So perhaps, just maybe, both Mary and Joseph recognize this to be the case. Maybe they go to Bethlehem not to comply with governmental regulations, but have obedience to God. Knowing Bethlehem is the place that God has ordained for the promise to be fulfilled. Look at verse 6. And it came about that while they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth. She gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Jesus was born and placed in a manger, which, as you probably know, is a feeding trough for animals. It's interesting. Mary was told that she would give birth to a king, one who would reign eternal from David's throne. And yet, this one who is so highly exalted is born into such a humble setting. As you can imagine, the census creates a sort of pilgrimage as people return to their own city. Mary and Joseph, as I mentioned, made a difficult trip. It was 90 miles, and it was over 1,000 feet of elevation. It's literally an uphill climb from Nazareth to Bethlehem. And since she was nine months pregnant, you can only imagine that they had to take a lot of stops along the way. So by the time they arrive in Bethlehem, there's no place to stay. 
The best they could do was a, a section of the home that was relegated to the animals. Most of the homes were built so that the upper floor was where the family stayed. The lower floor, the ground floor, is where their animals were kept. And animals were significant to these families because they lived from them. So they took care of them. It, it was a place that would have been less than optimal. But I feel pretty sure after such a long, difficult journey, they were just glad to have a roof over their head. Look at verse 8. And in the same region, there were shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over the flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. As we've seen before in Luke's account, he likes this idea of giving two separate stories and then seeing how they merge into one. And that's exactly what's happening here. After describing that scene of Jesus' birth, he now moves outside the city to the shepherd's fields. See, unlike other jobs that call it a day when it gets dark, these shepherds are still working. This is the time, in fact, when their sheep are most vulnerable because many of the most fierce predators hunt at night. So they are keeping watch over their sheep. They're looking intently, intently. They're watching carefully. And in the midst of that, suddenly an angel of the Lord appears. And to say that they were frightened would be a tremendous understatement. <laughs> because in addition to the presence of the Lord, it says that they are overwhelmed by the, the glory of the Lord. It's pitch dark at night and then instantly, when that angel appears, it becomes day. Verse 9 says that they were terribly frightened. But as I said, that's an understatement. The literal translation is, they feared with a great fear. <laughs> and we talked about any time words are repeated, it's trying to put it in bold print. So that you understand they are paralyzed. They can't move. They are overwhelmed with what is happening. It's as if God has pulled back the curtain. And given them a glimpse of the heavenly realm. And it's overwhelming to see. Look at how it continues in verse 10. And the angel said to them, do not be afraid. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy. Which shall be for all the people. For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior. Who is Christ the Lord. If you look back to all the angelic visits that we've looked at together in Luke's gospel, they follow a similar pattern. There is an appearance of the angel followed, as you might expect, by great fear. And then, words of comfort. Remember, the angel told Zacharias, don't be afraid. The Lord has heard your prayer. The angel told Mary, don't be afraid, for you have found favor in the eyes of the Lord. And here he tells the shepherds, don't be afraid, for I bring you good news. The Greek word for good news is where we get our word gospel. And so the angels essentially say, don't be afraid, I bring you the gospel. And notice that this good news is not just for a selective audience, a, a chosen few, a, a, a separate people. Instead, what does it say? Good news of great joy for who? All the people. 
good news of great joy for everyone. The gospel is globally significant. It is good news for all the people, no exceptions. But at the same time, it is personally applicable. Because look at how the angel goes on and says to the shepherds, a Savior has been born for who? For you. For you. The one who brings redemption has come to rescue you. A Savior who is Christ the Lord. The angel describes Jesus as Christ the Lord. And I want you to think about that in light of what we already know. The angel told Mary that Jesus would be the Son of the Most High. It's a title that describes His miraculous birth. One who would be born, not by the will of man, but by the power of God. Zacharias prophesied that Jesus would accomplish redemption for His people through the forgiveness of sins. He'd be a light in our darkness. His life would put the glory of God on display. These are the qualities that are describing the essence of who Jesus is. And now here the angel describes Jesus as a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Now, I think this is a title that describes the purpose for which He came. So the angels, in essence, are describing who Jesus is and what He came to accomplish. As Christ, it literally means the Lord's anointed. And if you're Jewish and you know the promises of God, you hear that phrase and you automatically think, promised Messiah. The Lord's anointed is the promised Messiah. As Lord, He comes with divine authority, a a righteous rule. That's a title reserved for the sovereign God. The Lord's anointed. Sovereign God, a Savior. This is a deliverer. Somebody who rescues us from something we can't break free from our own. Born for you. A Savior who is Christ the Lord. Look at how he continues in verse 12. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is well pleased. Just like the other angelic revelations, a sign is given to validate the truth with which they have now spoken. In this case, it says that the shepherds will find a newborn baby lying in a manger, wrapped in cloths. Now, very likely to understand the significance of what's being communicated here, we need to understand that these are not typical shepherds. Most scholars believe these are what are called Levitical shepherds, caring for a very important flock of sheep. In fact, these sheep are all one-year-old and unblemished. They graze near Bethlehem on land owned by the high priest. These are Passover lambs. 
That's why they're under such watchful care. Even more interesting is that when these lambs are born, because of their importance and to protect them from being blemished, they are wrapped in cloths. Passover lambs who are protected because of their divinely ordained role. And so it is with Jesus. Lying in a manger, wrapped in cloths. This was the sign they were looking for, and it is filled with significance. I can't help but believe that they knew, at least in part, just why that was the case. At this point in the proclamation, we learn that the angel who stood solo now stands with a chorus of angels who now join with him. The heavenly host is praising God, saying, Glory to God in the highest on earth, peace among men with whom he is pleased, or more literally, uh, upon whom his favor rests. So if they were at first given a glimpse of heaven, now it's as if that curtain is completely pulled back. And they see the heavenly host praising God and declaring the truth that has been proclaimed to them. I want you to notice as you think about this account how God has taken the initiative because of his great love leading these shepherds to their Savior because of his great grace. He invites them to come and see the one who has been set to set them, to set them free. The Lamb of God, the true Passover Lamb who came to take away the sins of the world. Look at how he continues in verse 15. It came about when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds began saying to one another, Let us go straight to Bethlehem then and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has made known to us. They came in haste and found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. When they had seen this, they made known to the, state, the statement which had been told them about this child. And all who heard it wondered at the things which were told to them by the shepherds. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds went back, glorifying and, and praising God for all that they had heard and seen, just as it had been told to them. After such a breathtaking encounter, you can imagine that it was really impossible for the shepherds not to go find this child. But it was risky. Because in order to go look for the child, they would have to leave this very important flock to fend for themselves. It's a decision of trust on multiple levels. First, they have to trust that what the angel said was actually true. And then they have to trust that if they're going to follow the angel's command that the Lord would take care of, what they were responsible for. Faithful obedience is often risky. Complete surrender, not without cost. But these shepherds had to see what the angels had announced. And as they do, they find it was exactly as they had described, a baby in a manger wrapped in cloths. 
But as you can imagine, their visit probably does require some explanation. Just put yourself in Mary and Joseph's shoe, right? They're there having celebrated the birth of this child, and all of a sudden there's two strange men or a group of strange men who've come to their door smelling like the sheep that they just left in the field. So it requires some explanation. And so the shepherds explain everything that they heard and saw. Now, as Joseph and Angel listened to what the shepherds had to say, I don't think they were too shocked by the angel uh, announcement. (laughs) Because by this time, they have both been visited by an angel themselves. What was interesting, though, is what the angel had to say to the shepherds that was new to the information they had already received. It was news about Jesus. Jesus, who is... Christ the Lord, a Savior. The shepherds have added to their understanding. I think they probably sat and each told one another the different things that they had learned from the angel announcement that had been given to them. And as they share these stories of all that they'd learned, it says that they begin to wonder. (laughs) Again, this is a significant understatement. (laughs) The word for wonder literally means astonished were amazed. They are blown away by all that God is doing. (laughs) They were filled with anticipation. They were overflowing with excitement. That's why it says in verse 20 that the shepherds went back glorifying and praising God for all that they had seen and heard. Seeing that baby in a manger just as it has been described to them has caused them, has compelled them to praise God. They are rejoicing in a God who is faithful to fulfill His promise because everything they had seen was just as they had been told. I don't know about you, but if this is my experience, I naturally become very curious about all the promises of God. Especially all the promises of God that relate to the Messiah. I'm really curious about this baby and what he will grow up to become and how he will fulfill all that God said would be true. I don't walk away from this experience and just carry on with life as normal. My perspective is forever altered. And for Mary, it's curious because it says that she treasured up all these things pondering them in her heart. I believe what it's describing here is what Mary is choosing to do is what God had to force Zechariah to do. She's reflecting. She's considering all that had been said in order to better understand God's purpose. She ponders all that she has been told. And I think based on what we know from Mary... I think what she wants to understand is what she needs to know in order to be faithful to what God is doing. After all, we learned that she said, may it be done to me according to your word. That's that's what she said in response to the angel's announcement. May it be done to me according to your word. That's a heart of humble submission. Mary is treasuring up all that is happening so that she can be faithful to follow God's will. She wants to understand. 
not to simply just grow in knowledge, but more importantly, to walk in faithful obedience. And so as you and I approach the celebration of Christmas, as we're reminded of that angelic announcement, I wonder if the same could be said of us. Let me just ask you, do you wonder? Do you look back at all the promises of God that have been fulfilled in your life? In the lives of those who've preceded you all throughout the, the testimony of Scripture? Do you look back on all those faithful promises of God fulfilled and then do you look forward expectantly for what He might do next? Do you wonder Are you filled with anticipation? Do you look expectantly? Do you treasure what you know to be true? Do you hide God's word in your heart? Not to simply grow in knowledge, but to walk in faithful obedience. Seeing where God is at work. In choosing to join him in that work to, to the praise and glory of his name. And here's an important question I really want you to consider, especially during the holiday. Does the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ, still bring you great joy? Does it make your heart want to sing? Are you compelled, like the shepherds, to tell somebody about what you've seen and heard? Is it impossible for you to keep it inside because it's just too good to hide from someone else? Do you remember and understand that that Savior was born for you? came for all the world. His sacrifice is sufficient for all mankind. He died for you because you and I are in desperate need of a Savior to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves, to rescue us from the domain of darkness, to transfer us from that domain of darkness into the kingdom of light where we have redemption, in the forgiveness of sins. That's the good news. Does it still bring you great joy? See, if you really think about it, we're no different than the shepherds. Because somehow, for all of us, in the midst of our everyday, and maybe that day is today, but somewhere in the midst of our everyday, God's truth has been revealed to us. God took the initiative. And made himself known. And he has invited you to come and see a Savior who is Christ the Lord, born for you. So I hope that as we think about that truth during this season, we are compelled to sing. Sing the praises of what he's accomplished Seeing the praises of his faithfulness yesterday, today, and forever. To sing the praises of what is yet to come. When that promise will be completely fulfilled. 
in that experience that those angels had when they stood in the glory of the Lord and the night suddenly became day will be our eternal existence before a holy God. For those who put their faith and trust in Christ as the Savior who was born to set them free. It's our story. They gave the good news of the promise that has been given to us. And we should rejoice. So as we finish up this morning, I just want to encourage you to take the words of the song that we'll sing and rejoice. Let your voice reflect a heart of praise and bring glory to God. So, Brian. There is a gift that is unique to you in the church age of those who have put their trust in Christ. We sang about it in this song. That God is with you. That you don't have to travel to another city to see a baby born in a manger to know who Jesus is and what He's accomplished. Because of what Christ has done, God's presence is with you through the power of the Holy Spirit and He is among us now. That's a gift. You don't have to go and see because He has come and accomplished And so you can celebrate his presence this Christmas season. That's the greatest gift you'll ever receive. Lord, thank you for our time together this morning, for your promises fulfilled, for your faithful love. Thank you, Lord, that you didn't uh, cause us or, or put us in a place where we had to go find you. Instead, you revealed yourself in a way that we could know you be known by you, enter into a relationship with you through faith in your Son, Jesus Christ, our Savior, who came to set us free. And it's in His name that we pray, and to the glory and praise of His name may we live. And all God's people said, Merry Christmas, everyone. Hope to see you tomorrow.